Hey, it's Chris from the Classic Metal Show. Just wanted to make sure you never, ever lose the CMS to the corporate entities of the world taking us down. Subscribe to our podcast by following our feed, https colon slash slash j dot mp slash cms feed, j dot mp slash cms feed. Just plug that into your podcast player and you'll never lose us. It's uncensored and it's controlled by us, not any main tech giant. So do it today, fucks. Guys are talking about Uriah Heat, man. You know what? Ken Helmsley's dead. How's that? Now we're done. Uriah Heat, man. You guys are not even mentioning it. Who cares? So do your own fucking show and play fucking four hours of it. Or call Kendall's fucking show. <laughs> play Uriah Heap all over Kendall's fucking request show. Shut up about Uriah Heap. Uriah Heap, man. They haven't even so much as mentioned Uriah Heap, man. We don't give a fuck. How about that? We've interviewed Uriah Heap three times. Once with Mick Box, twice with Dave Rimmer. Enough. We're done with Uriah Heap. Uriah Heap, though, man. Fuck Uriah Heap. Uriah Heap's career is as dead as fucking Ken Helmsley right now. So enough. <laughs> Why aren't you mentioning it, Chris? Because I don't care. Why not? They weren't so influential. Not to my listening, they weren't. Come on, man. Uriah Heap. Yeah, whatever. Moving on. That's our tribute to Ken Helmsley. Rest in peace. Oh my God. So people are just, they're just so, so involved. Oh, bitchy. You know, what it is everybody's sick of being fucking home with nothing to do. So everybody whines about every fucking thing. Well, I agree with that. Everybody's tired. If, if fucking stupid Jacko could go out to a show or something, instead of having to sit home, listening to his fucking 16 records that he has in his collection, all from 1967, <laughs> fucking, he wouldn't be such a whiny bitch. <laughs> it's been five hours, man. Then they haven't mentioned a right heap once, not even once in the show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you talk about LA guns every goddamn week, Neely. It's our show. Talk about whatever the fuck we want to talk about. Don't fucking listen, Ben. How about and that? Then, Don't then, fucking listen. And not only that, but you tune in every week. Yeah. So that's your fucking stupidity for call for listening every fucking week to us. Talk about something you don't want to hear. So don't listen. <laughs> Go away. Eddie Trump, Kendall. There's a million other alternatives out there. There's a million options out there. Spotify. Listen to all the fucking Uriah heap you want to on Spotify, but go fuck yourself. It's not your goddamn fucking show. You haven't been hired as the producer. So go fuck yourself. Fuck off. <laughs> That's so funny. Man, we dictate what goes on on the show, man. No, you don't. No, you don't. Guess what? I could close this fucking chat room for good tomorrow and we'd still have a fucking show. Yeah, pal. Yeah, I just paid the bill for the rumble talk. I could close it down. Anytime. Close it on down. 
Fuck this. I'm tired of this fucking. You know, I'm out of the chat room. Fuck this goddamn <laughs> chat room. Just a bunch of annoying cunts. Yeah. I'm fucking done with it. Look what you did, you cunts. Talk all the shit you want to about me, you fuckwads. I'm not in there anymore. Yeah. Go right ahead. You know, much like you say with social media, Neely, I am officially done with the chat room. Well, there you go. Now I won't have to deal with it. Just like with Twitter. Done with it. Well, again, when you get something for nothing, yeah. uh, you know, you could sit there and criticize all you want. Yeah. Couldn't care less. Couldn't care less. Man. <laughs> even though, even though I spend a couple hundred dollars a year. Oh, whatever. Stop spending it. Yeah. Set up your own fucking chat room. Yeah, pal. Set up your own fucking chat room. So funny. All right. Um, let's see here. I don't, I don't know. It, this is something you sent me over. Okay. I'm not really sure how to address this, but I'll go through it. All right. I'm not even sure what it is. So uh, it, it's about being a life coach. Okay. Um, tell Neely that if he wants to become a life coach or a spiritual advisor, I don't think I ever said that. <laughs> he may also want to get a license to style hair. Okay. I, I'm not sure what that means. Okay. Considered how the piece of shit named Larry Geller also parlayed an acquaintance with Elvis into a lifelong gig where he actually bills himself as Elvis's spiritual advisor. How convenient for him that Elvis is dead and therefore unable to refute anything. He says something that may have been nothing more than Elvis's asking him about a book he was reading is turning into claiming he was Elvis's spiritual advisor, whatever that is. <laughs> I also love how you don't need any training or credentials to give yourself one of these titles. I can't believe anyone gives this parasite, uh, money or to speak, to hear him speak. No. Well, he does. That was just an email that, that came in. All right. Well, I, I know that I had talked here on the show that, uh, you know, since, since these, um, cults rise up and it seems like there's people out there who are willing to spend a lot of money mm -hmm. for somebody to go, Hey, you know, you shouldn't do that, but you should do this. Right. I, I could give the people that kind of guidance. Yeah. Why not? As well, as well as you, I'm, you know, it's just like, I'm not a genius, Yeah. but if somebody needs or feels the uh, need to uh, spend money to have somebody kind of guide them in their life. Yeah. Uh, I'll be willing to take their cashola and go, yeah, yeah. You shouldn't buy, um, you know, Coke, Coca-Cola. You probably should, you know, maybe spend your money on, um, I don't know, uh, something else, anything yeah, else. I don't know. I'll be glad to do that. I'll take yeah. their money. Why not? There's Larry Geller. All right. <laughs> so, so this guy cut Elvis's hair. I think so. Yeah. And, and so he now 
lists himself as Elvis's spiritual advisor. Dude, in one of those documentaries about Elvis, one of those zillion documentaries that we watch, there was one and they were talking to the, what, what was the, the main crew? Memphis five yeah, or whatever. Oh yeah. The, the Memphis mafia, the Memphis mafia. Yeah. They were talking to the Memphis mafia and they referenced that this guy came into Elvis's life kind of mid career. Okay. Like he started off cutting his hair and then he, he sort of worked his way into being Elvis's like, um, right-hand guy, sort of, Yeah, sort of, sort of like, a. I, I guess I'll go have to go with your description there. His right-hand man, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And, and apparently, and I had no idea he parlayed that into a career after Elvis died. Okay. Well, again, if you had association, direct association with Elvis, I guess you yeah. could parlay that into a career because people, for whatever reason, they were just like, well, this guy knew Elvis. He must've known him very well. I mean, look at him. What's he going to do? What's that guy going to do after being Elvis's haircutter? I get, I guess if you're charismatic enough and, and that's the whole key to, to getting people's attention mm -hmm. being charismatic. Yeah. Uh, I guess you could parlay that into anything. Yeah, guess so. So, so you go, yeah, I used to, you know, curry Elvis's hair, but I used to give him spiritual, but oh, what did you tell Elvis? Because he was really a megastar. He was successful. Yeah. Maybe you could shed that magical light on me yeah. and I could, you know, have whatever that success is or, you know, spark that, that candle that, that would launch me into that uh, stratosphere, right. whatever the case may be. Remember when Elvis cut that album of religious songs? <laughs> My idea. I did that. <laughs> All right. Fair <laughs> enough. So there he is. All right. All right. So, well, again, you know, that that's often something I've thought about and, I, and I'll be honest with about that. It's just like, well, if people, if people in general mm -hmm. are, are willing to spend money to be guided, yeah, I can give you some guidance. We do it here every week for free. Yeah. Both Chris and I both kind of like, uh, give you some guidance in your life, whether you, you know, and, and again, we're, we, we don't profess to be any, any kind of, uh, experts. Mm -hmm. we, we just tell you what works for us. Well, I'm going to tell you the truth, Neely. After the way tonight is gone with this fucking assholes in the chat room, <laughs> I'm going to let you make all that money being a spiritual guide guider. I want nothing to do with guiding people. I want nothing to do with people at all. I'm content to do this show just for me talking to you and you talking to me. All right. Well, there's, there's just two words that go together that, uh, that make sense of all this set common sense. Yeah. There you go. But, $45, <laughs> but here's the thing. When I was a young person and I, I, there was a, there was a guy that he was one of my, um, instructors. Mm -hmm. One of the things he always said that common sense is uncommon. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that people for whatever reason can't be focused enough right. to just focus on the things that are important mm -hmm. and they get distracted easily 
And unfortunately for this country and perhaps the world, one of the things that have distracted people is this fucking social media. Sure. You know, and that's the thing is social media has basically captured the imagination and the focus from people living their lives and making the right decisions and, you know, doing the, doing the right things, right. As it were. Right. And, and they, they get confused. They get caught up in it. It's just like, I don't know what to do. Where do I go? How do, how do I conduct myself? And, and they get a guy who has a little bit of uh, charisma to him, or as David Lee Roth once said in his video, you got charisma, charisma, exactly. And they step in and go, Hey, I could put you on the right path. And it's like, what is that going to cost me? And it's just like, well, you know, I got some money and you know, well, that only costs you, you know, a couple hundred bucks a day. Oh, right. well worth it because I, I need to be put on the path of, you know, uh, the right path. That's right. And if you, and if you were involved with Elvis, you probably know what you're talking about, you know, but I, I don't know. I, I think that, uh, I think that there's a, if, if I wanted to exploit people, which that is not my deal, right? I am not conscientiously. I am not a person who goes, man, I want to exploit somebody. Right. But if I wanted to, and I wanted to use this show as a, a vehicle as, as our good friend, Randy Trask once put it, right. <laughs> use this as a vehicle. Yeah, man. If I wanted to use this show as a vehicle and say, Hey, I, I'll be your uh, personal, you know, life coach or advisor or whatever. And it's only going to cost you $200 a session. Right. How many, how many people do you think that I could, you know, possibly draw in to do that? You get some. Yeah, of course. You would definitely get some. But how many, but, but again, for, let's just say that the session lasts an hour say mm -hmm. like over Skype or, or whatever. And I go, well, what did you do today? Well, I went to work and then, you know, I went out to the bar and, you know, I had a couple of drinks with my friends and blah, 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 blah. And I go, Hey, you know, maybe, maybe it's not the best thing for you to go to the bar. Maybe you should just like, uh, focus on, um, you know, your career or something. Right. If I said something like that, you know what I'm saying? And you're going to save yourself a $60 bar bill Yeah. and you take that money and you put it into an IRA account instead. Right. And they do that mm -hmm. and say it nets them X amount of dollars. Sure. I look like a fucking hero <laughs> and it's like, wow, dude, I would have never thought to do that myself. You know, I've been spending $60 a night at a bar three nights a week. But I took that, uh, you know, 180 bucks and I put it into an IRA and now my IRA is worth $50,000 Yeah, and they go, holy shit, you're worth every penny that I pay you. <laughs> See what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it's all mind shit. And it's, you could make these decisions on your own, but you just kind of need someone to encourage you to do that. Right. You know, but without that encouragement, you would make poor decisions 
But if somebody that you thought you respected or thought had better cred than you or had some kind of notoriety made that suggestion to you and you did it and it worked out, then you look like a fucking God. Yeah. Well, that's how, that's how these guys like, what's his name? Anthony, Anthony Robbins, Tony Robbins. Oh, Tony Robbins. Yeah. Tony Robbins. That's how he made his money. Mm -hmm. You know, he gave, you know, everything he said to do, none of it was really earth shattering. Oh, it was just, just common sense shit. Yeah. But the thing is, is that he had a presence on television Mm -hmm. and that made it sound as if he was bigger and better than everybody else. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and just the fact that you and I have a microphone, you know, in front of our faces, right. Makes it sound as if we're better than anybody else. Yeah, apparently uh, look, look at those guys. Oh, holy shit. Chris and Neely, Jesus Christ. I mean, those fucking guys got the, you know, they got the world by the tail. Yeah, sure. Well, really do we sure we do. Oh, well, yeah, I must have because I'm on a microphone. Yeah, <laughs> here it is important. but that's the whole game man it's just like just because i have a microphone in front of my face Mm -hmm. doesn't make me any better than you it's just because i'm talking into a an apparatus and you're listening to dude we said it kind of at the beginning of the show celebrity is fucking ridiculous it is i i agree i completely agree it's it is the biggest of all the scams that are out there, of every scam that there is, the biggest scam is celebrity because there's no correlation at all to good decision-making and celebrity. No, none at all. None. But but if you hear it from somebody that you believe mm-hmm. is more experienced in life than you, then, then it means everything in the world. Yeah. But people don't even look at it that far. I mean, how, how in the world do you literally take Vince Neal? Okay. Wrote home, sweet home. You liked Vince Neal. You liked home, sweet home. Maybe you got your first piece of ass to home, sweet home. Right. Okay. How in the world could you ever still say, well, that's the guy that I got to take any kind of advice from. <laughs> All right. You know, I, I mean, how, what, for what reason? And, and I'm just using him as an example. You can use any, any celebrity. I don't care who it is. I he was just first name. that came up. Sure. Any celebrity, any one of them, you know, Robert De Niro. Why would you take advice from Robert De Niro? Well, I'll tell you the reason why. Go ahead. Because they're successful. What does that mean? At, at, but not at life. No. They're successful at their chosen career. And I agree. But the thing is, they're, they, they have, and again, this goes back to our original discussion. It's all about money. Mm-hmm. They have money. They somehow acquired money because of some decision that they made. Mm-hmm. So, why can't I have that success in money? Yeah, I guess, but and, and never really, that's what it boils down to. It's just like, oh, well, well, they, they had success. They are in movies. They, they have money. They, they have fame. They have all these things that I don't have 
So, so why, why are they successful? And I'm not look, I can solve that question here. I'm going to give you your life coaching in like, I'm going to give you the 90 second life coaching, which is everything you would get if you paid for life coaching for a year. Ready? Yep. If you want to be successful, it only requires two things, determination and luck. Oh, that's it. Come on. That's it. Dude, th- th- that's too much. That's too much to think about. It should mm-hmm. just come to me. Yeah, I will. If you put in, if you put in 9 million hours to do no, it. Oh, I don't want to work at it. Come on, dude. There's got to yeah. be a secret to it. That's the secret. No, that's, you won't find that in any other book, but that come is on. the secret. It, it's gotta be, there's gotta be more to it than just work. Come on. Well, you're right. You know. Really, the secret is every time you walk through a door, you have to knock 16 times on the door before you walk through it. And you have to make sure you have $8.12 exactly in your pocket at all times. Dude, you're talking OCD shit now. Yeah, well, that's what people, bo- they might as well. Look, if celebrity said it, you did. if a celebrity, if a, if a really famous person, if Bono, if Bono said, you know what? We could cure world peace if every single person on the that that has any kind of money kept four dollars and thirty one cents in your pocket. You'd have a million people tomorrow with four dollars and thirty one cents in their pocket. You would, because people are that dumb. People are that dumb and that needy. Of well, I'm doing it because Bono said it's cool. I'm doing what he said. That's cool. It's pathetic. Dude, you're bumming me out here. Sorry. I was looking for, I was looking for the quick answer to the success in life. And mm-hmm. you're, you're bumming me out, dude. Well, it's because you don't have $4 and 31 cents in your pocket. <laughs> well, you'd feel better. Yeah. How much money you got in your pocket? Uh, $250 too much. You need to give me 239 <laughs> and change and you keep that $4 and 31 cents. And, and then you'll have luck. See, now I sound like one of these fucking shysters. Just give me 239. You can keep $4 and 31 cents and then you'll have a better life. Okay. I'll expect it in the mail tomorrow. Well, I think you would expect me to PayPal it to you after the show. Okay. Well, here, yeah, there you go. Send it, send it for, give me a Venmo. Yeah. Why, why, why would you wait for a, a, a snail pay, uh, mail when you could have Venmo or PayPal? Yeah. Why would I give you any opportunity to change your mind and realize that I'm jobbing you? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you got to get it immediately. You got to strike right. while the iron is hot. That's right. Oh, you're willing to give me the money. Well, here, here's my, here's my address. Give it to me now. Christ. You know, you know, Neely, the quicker you send it to me, the the more goodness you're going to get out of it. Yeah, of course. So why don't you just pause the show right now and play a song and send me that money <laughs> right now? In fact, while you're do, with one hand to be pulling up Venmo, with the other hand, be pulling up a song to play. Let's go. Get to it. That's how it works. I sound like Joel Olstein. I know. <laughs> I think, I think you've watched too much Joel Olstein to, uh, for your own good. That's right. But there, there's something to be learned though, that these shysters, these, these guys who know how to work it, yeah, they know how to work their, um, 
their constituents, as it were, mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, pony up that money. Yeah, they get it out of them. That's for damn sure. They do. Just and, and, and I think I know you a little bit, but <laughs> personally, I could not lay my coconut head down on a pillow at night knowing that I that I jacked somebody out of that kind of cash because I just said, hey, you know what? Maybe you shouldn't buy that uh, Budweiser six pack. Maybe you should take that uh, money and invest it in the stock market or something. Just because I said that and and you you sent over $200 by way of PayPal or Venmo or something because I gave you that that advice. That's Mm -hmm. fucking ridiculous, dude. Well, dude, look at us as a show. We refuse to just fucking shake the tree and say, hey, give us fucking PayPal money for the for listening. (laughs) you know stupid we refuse to do it no and always and we could have made money doing it let's be honest we yeah. couldn't have made we money doing it. many years ago yeah but yeah. it was just like we're not doing that yeah. if we ain't giving you a product we don't want your fucking money period you know maybe we should start maybe we're in the wrong maybe we're doing it wrong nah i i couldn't accept it yeah well I wouldn't want it either. Really? To be honest, I, I have enough business. I don't need to make this into fucking work. <laughs> All right. Well, we talked about, um, Paul McCartney about a, about what, what was it last week? Mm-hmm. And we talked a little bit about that. Yeah. So, so our good friend, Mark Miller, who is always on type of things. Uh-huh. He actually sent us several, several stories about, uh, the, 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 uh, John Lennon, um, fortune mm-hmm. and the Yoko Ono Ono and, and the Beatles and all that kind of stuff. So I'm going to run through this real quick. All right. Uh, Yoko Ono. Now, how old is she? Like 70 something. She's got to be in her seventies at this point. She hands over her business interest to Sean Lennon. Well, congratulations, Julian. You get nothing again. <laughs> well, wait a minute. There's more to it. Okay. So apparently it's very strange, but, uh, believe it or not, wait a minute. She's no, 87, 87, by the way. Yeah. I was just going to say that 87. Wow. She's almost 90 years old. Mm. She's going to get every minute of ruining the Beatles in. (laughs) So Yoko Ono, 87. Wow. Hands over business interest to the Beatles son, Sean. All right. Holy shit. Yeah. So ailing Yoko Ono is handing her business interest in the Beatles and John Lennon over to her son, Sean. Mm-hmm. The reclusive 87 year old has not been seen in public for more than a year and now uses a wheelchair much of the time in the rare occasions that she, she leaves her New York home. Yeah. Good she, point, Sal. She could run for office. She is 87. <laughs> she could be Biden's running mate. Yeah, no kidding. She's been managing John Lennon's. How much is John Lennon worth to you? Do you know? Oh, I have no gotta be half a bill better. Let's find out. Eight hundred million dollars. Yeah. Eight hundred million dollars. 
been dead 40 years. Yeah. Well, he's as much dead as Paul McCartney is alive. Yeah. <laughs> we talked about that last week. Mm-hmm. So John Lennon is worth almost a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Jesus, criminy. His corpse. Now, Sean, who is 45, um, has been appointed a director at eight, eight companies. Well, good for him. Linked to the company and the Beatles, according to the mirror, uh, including the multimedia Apple corporation. Okay. Apple corporation has reported assets of 360 million last year. Wow. And Sean is believed to be taking over the lens solo. I don't know what that is. Managing John's solo. Oh, Lennon solo. I guess that's what that means. Right. Uh, solo material, uh, McLenn, which publishes John's work in the U S and sub films, a music film industry. All right. I'm good for him. <laughs> You talk about you talk about uh, being born uh, into uh, you know yeah. wealth, right place, right time, exactly. Meanwhile, meanwhile Julian can't even get a ticket to one of these films from this movie, from this movie company. Julian can't even get in the door. <laughs> Yoko has been vocal for decades about the global peace. And has been has been seen as attending exhibitions for her artwork. <laughs> her artwork. Yeah. But she has become more reclusive in recent years as in spoken about suffering from an illness mm. on what would have been John's 80th birthday yeah. last month. Sean made a BBC documentary and an Apple music show to uh, mark the occasion. Mm-hmm. Yoko only tweeted a video in which she appeared to be reading from a script and one of her last public appearances in 2017, holy shit, three years. Mm -hmm. She says, I've learned so much from having this illness. What illness? Corona. (laughs) Is that what it is? She started it, didn't she? I, yeah, probably. I mean, isn't that, isn't it the. The Yoko flu. It's not yeah, it's a Yoko Ono virus. Yeah, it took our great country and just ruined it, just like it, just like she did with the Beatles. <laughs> she started with the Beatles and then she ruined the whole country. Yeah, our world. Exactly. But it's not known what the artist is suffering from. Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. She's she's in a wheelchair. She's ill. She's sick, but nobody knows what she's sick from. Probably saw her own artwork and got fucking violently ill. <laughs> or hearing loss from listening to her own her own albums. Yep. In February of 2016, Yoko was hospitalized after suffering what was rumored to be a stroke, but mm. she later said it was a severe flu. So she's stroko ono? Stroke oh no. Is that who she is? <laughs> it's funny that uh it's reported that she suffered a stroke, mm-hmm. but she refutes that and says it's just the flu. 
It's just the flu. What the? See, this is where all that disinformation comes from. From her? No, I'm just saying <laughs> that. I'm just saying that it's funny that it's reported that. Well, Yoko Ono, uh, you know, suffered a stroke. Yeah, and she comes out and she goes, "No, I just have the flu." And what is she protecting herself from? That I don't know. That's the whole question. She's 87 for God's sakes. If she had a stroke or the flu, no one's going to care either way. The only one that's going to care is the guy that's making the casket for her. True. I mean, Jesus Christ. You think she she gets buried in one of those big mausoleum things? Probably. Where's John Lennon buried? I don't know. Is he under that imagine fucking thing? I don't know. Well, well, you would think that uh, she would be laid to rest next to him, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you think? You would think. Let's see. John Lennon. Yoko Ono had Lennon's body cremated at the Ferncliff Cemetery and scattered his ashes in Central Park in the site of their New York apartment. All right. So if she when, when she dies, will she be scattered as well? I don't know. Okay. Well, let's 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 hope that let's hope that's one of the days that they actually have a street cleaner that comes by and sweeps <laughs> the shit up. Uh, she still lives in the same nine-room Dakota building in New York where John Lennon was assassinated outside in 1980. Yeah, you think she ever went up by the door of the wall and put her finger in a bullet hole? <laughs> you think she ever did that? I don't think so. You don't think? I mean, she walks by it every day. Wouldn't your curiosity get to you at some point? You would think so. It's not like she moved away from it. No, she stayed there. I'll bet you she stuck her finger in the bullet hole. I would bet. I would bet just about. I I know I would. If I was going to live there, if first of all, if it happened to me, I would move the fuck out of there. (laughs) Of course. But since she stayed, you got to think that at some point she went up and put her finger in the hole a little bit. Just to see, just to kind of have a memory. Hmm. You know, you got to think that, don't you? The memory remains. Every, every two years when the, when the probation is turned, you know, is denied, she goes up, touches that hole in the wall, right? Hole in the door frame. All in all, we're just another hole in the wall. (laughs) Wrong band, Neely, wrong band. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, they're English. He gunned you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Don't shoot me down. <laughs> you could rewrite all the Beatles, Beatles lyrics, couldn't you? I probably could. I could probably right. find a bunch of good ones. <laughs> all right. And John Lennon at the BBC brings together from the archives classic performances and interviews on Sunday, October 4th from 7 to 9 p.m. All programs will be broadcast on Radio 2 and BBC Sounds will be available to listen again on BBC Sounds for 30 days. This is the um, John Lennon is one of the Radio 2 audience's most popular and best loved musicians. So we're thrilled 
and honored that Sean first ever radio program in which he talks at length about his father alongside his brother, Julian Lennon. What? Yes. Well, Paul McCartney and Elton John will be broadcast on our network. Of course, they'll have three of those guys in the studio and one guy Skyping in. <laughs> Wonder which guy it'll be with no video, of course. Of course. <laughs> John Lennon will have turned 80 years old on Friday. That is the 9th of October. Okay. 80 years old. Wow. Hosted by his youngest son, Sean, in his first ever radio show after his father. This is a celebrity musical family portrait of the legendary musician. It sheds light on John's remarkable life in music. Okay. One of which has created some of the most important. I like that part the important musical milestones of the 20th century and also delves deep into his incredible back catalog. Mm -hmm. uh, each of the hour long programs journey through the incomparable and prolific. Well, I'll tell you with this writer, <laughs> each of the hour long programs journeys through this uh, incomparable and prolific musical life as a Beatle, as a solo artist with Yoko. Ono. They have to throw that in there. Of course. of course they do. And as a collaborator, Sean in a conversation with his older brother, Julian brings their unique insights to John's sons, sharing their thoughts and rec uh, recollections about their father's compositions and significant moments. So wait a minute. Sean was what? Five when John was killed. Something like that. Four or five. Yeah. What, what does he have to offer here? Probably you know, nothing. Just, just from archival shit. Hmm. I would think my dad took me to the park. That was awesome. Thanks for coming, Sean. Yeah, I swang on the swings. Yeah, and he pushed me. Yeah. He pushed me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is the first time that the brothers, the brothers, mm -hmm. half brothers, yeah. uh, have ever spoken publicly together. Wow. After all this year, this is the first time that they've spoken together publicly. Mm -hmm. All right. About their memories of their dad. And the first time Sean has talked about John publicly with his fellow Beatle and songwriter partner, Paul McCartney and Sean's godfather, Elton John. Well, great. The program will be made by independent production company. Listen. Okay. Independent. Well, again, you would think that uh, somebody who, uh, is of a high profile, such as a beetle. Mm -hmm. They have a independent company called listen, mm -hmm. uh, publishing this thing. Great. All right. Helen Thomas, head of the station, radio Two, radio two. I think that's in England. All right. 
says John Lennon is one of the Radio 2's audience most popular and best beloved musicians. So we're thrilled and honored that Sean's first ever. How many times are they going to mention that? They're going to beat that home, man. This is his first ever radio program in which he talks at length about his father alongside his brother, Julian and Paul McCartney and Elton John will be broadcast on our network. I think they're not very confident that this thing's going to do really well. Well, well, again, this, this is like, well, we have cred. Look, look at us. We've got big stars. Mm -hmm. We've got big names. Hey, I'm not going to lie. I would listen to this. All right. Wouldn't you? Just well, out of curiosity, you sure wouldn't. I would. Sure, I would. But but th this is the whole thing. There there's been a lot of years that have gone by, mm -hmm. and it's just like this is the first time that Sean uh, has actually spoken with Julian. Yeah, well, might be the first time he's spoken to Julian. Period. Uh, but that's kind of my point. Yeah. Uh, Sean and Julian talk personally about their father. And how he taught them about music. Yeah. Well, some somehow, some way, at least from what I understand, at least, may, may, I, of course, I don't have the whole story. Mm -hmm. How much time did John spend with Julian Lennon? Oh, I have no idea. Not much. That That's kind of my point. Yeah, because wasn't when Julian was born, he was already cheating with Yoko. Wasn't That's he? What I'm saying it was this, this Julian, he was, he was born to the, what was her name? Cindy, Cynthia. Yeah. Cynthia. Mm -hmm. And he was already off and running, doing other shit. So it's just like, how much time did he spend with Julian? You know what the biggest crime is out of, out of this whole story. If this fucking not had Yoko, would have put the effort in to raise Julian like she raised Sean. I mean, okay. she, she wouldn't have necessarily parented him, but really kept him as part of the part of the, you know, the Lennon thing instead of ostracizing him as a, you know, as separate from, from Sean and from the Lennon estate more or less. Julian Lennon would probably have become a monster star. Well, I agree. And I mean, obviously he had a, you know, he had a good start back in the eighties when, you know, he had the whole MTV video thing. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. Because, because they, you know, they promoted that this is, oh my God, this is Julian Lennon. This is John Lennon's son, mm -hmm. you know? And, you know, he looked like him and he kind of sounded like him and they yeah. had music videos and, huh? and, and, after, and that whole, after that whole era was over, uh, Julian kind of faded into the background. Yeah. But man, those first two songs, it, it, if he would have had the backing of the Beatle money. You know, whether it was Yoko or, or even McCartney or anybody, if he would have had that kind of backing supporting I, him, I agree. He would have been huge. I agree. Cause, cause dude, he was well on his way with, um, much too late for goodbyes and Volat. Those fucking songs were 
were sp- I remember everybody was like, holy shit, the Beatles are back. Yeah, it sounded very Beatlesque. Yeah. I, re- I remember seeing it on my uh, you know, on MTV myself, and it was yeah. just holy shit, this kind of this kid yeah. kind of looks like John Lennon in a way, and he sounds like him, and it kind of has that same style and whatever, yeah. and it's just like but then after that whole MTV thing went away, it just he kind of disappeared. Yeah, well, they put distance. Remember, there, there was like a whole thing, and, and I don't remember it clearly, so I could be very wrong on this, and I'm sure people will correct me. But um, if I remember right, they then tried to promote Sean. They tried to push Sean up into the mix in the 90s. Like he was doing some kind of music with, I forget who it was, but they, they tried to push him up in the mix and no one was buying it. Yeah, because it wasn't interesting enough. Well, and it wasn't as talented. You know, it's just that. That's, oh, that, that part is true as well. You know, but man, they could have built another another era of Beatlesque. Dude, how cool would that have been if he would have gotten huge and like him and paul mccartney and ringo were to get up on stage and, and harrison before he died play a couple of beatles tunes. Well, this is no different than the led zeppelin, led zeppelin cool. well, except it would have been nine million times bigger it would have been nine million times bigger if they would have if they would have built julian up or even during the Velat year even during that year when they had Velat and they had um, much too late for goodbyes on, on MTV. If they would have announced a show with Julian as the opening band for those three remaining Beatles, and then Julian came out and did, you know, a couple of songs with, with the actual Beatles, that would have been one of the most massive concerts in the history of concerts. And and I think, I think a lot of people were thinking that at the time. Yeah. Cause I remember when that came out and, you know, again, uh, Julian kind of looked like John mm-hmm. a lot, had, had kind of a lot of features. He kind of had a lot of the vocal, uh, sound. Mm-hmm. And I think if, and again, I agree with you, if they had done something like that, it would have been massive. Yeah. Don't, do you think it would have been bigger than the Zeppelin stuff? I yeah, do. Absolutely. I think it would have been live aid esque. Yeah, I agree. I, I honestly think it would have been whatever the biggest, it would have been like rock and Rio, but they would have been able to do that anywhere they wanted to. Yeah. At, at that time, if they had captured that at that moment, mm-hmm. it, it would have been massive. Yeah. But they, they didn't. They no. just Well, again, <laughs> they didn't need the money. True. And that's probably a big part of it. They, they, you know, they had no need for cash. Well, again, th- this is what the whole um, theme of this show tonight has been. Mm-hmm. It's been about the money. Yeah, true. You know, but the Beatles, regardless if you're John Lennon or Paul McCartney or even a George Harrison or Ringo Starr, mm-hmm. none of you are hurting for money. Yeah, true. Those guys have been mega rich yeah. since, since the late sixties or the early seventies. Yeah, and since they were 19 or whatever. Yeah, of course. Of course. Mm-hmm. Just, um, think, just think of how much they're, they're all worth about a billion and you know, they got fucked in the early sixties. 
you know, they got fucked on their deal like every other band did in the 60s when there was no no rhyme or reason to how deals worked. Can you imagine how much money they would have if they would have if they made a proper deal is what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, of course. They might have two billion dollars each. Yeah. That's a lot Uh, of cake. Julian uh, recalls his dad buying him a guitar when he was around 11 years old. It helped him get into playing music, and he remembers recording an early school gig, which he sent to his dad on a. He sent to his dad. He sent it. (laughs) He sent it on a cassette. Dad, yeah, this is what I'm doing now. Yeah, great, son. I got a new wife and a new kid. You know, fuck you. Dad was a little too busy to come to the talent show. Right. <laughs> Together, Julian and Sean recall Lennon's final album that is Double Fantasy, which Sean describing it was overwhelming to listen to because some of the earliest memories are of being a in the studio with his dad during the recording of it. Right. Now, when did Double Fantasy come out? What, 1980 or something like yeah, that? It came, out, it came out like either a month before or after he died. Yeah, it, it was It was in the early 80s. Yeah. Uh, they talk about their memories of finding out uh, their dad was a beetle. <laughs> okay. Oh. And not uh, like everyone else's dad with Julian talking about seeing his fans at the end of the garden each day when he was two or three years old growing up in England and Sean recalling similar scenes outside their apartment building in New York. Right. By the way, double fantasy, October 19th, 1980. All right. I thought it was 80. So about a month and a half before he died. Okay. Uh, Paul McCartney shares his memories of meeting John talking about the combination of him and John saying, I look back and how, like a fan, how lucky I was to meet this, this stranger, Teddy boy, Teddy boy, Teddy boy off the bus who played music like I did. And we got together and boy, we complimentary, we complimented each other. Mm, great. John asked about his grandma, John's mom who had a massive influence on his life and music, but uh, sadly she died when John was a teenager. Paul shares some lovely memories. She was a doll. You would have loved her and explains how much she was like John. So Paul probably knew her for about a year. <laughs> yeah, right. I, mean, well, I mean, they said when he was a teenager, well, yeah. they, they only were, I mean, they, they were teenagers together for very little bit of time with the, the early incarnation of the Beatles. Yeah, I agree. You know, maybe a year or two. I mean, it's not like Paul and John were like lifelong friends or something. Oh, he might've met this lady four times, but she was lovely. She was lovely. She offered me tea (laughs) and I drank it and it was lovely. Yeah. After their writing partnership, Sean asked if there were any songs that he and John didn't like, or if they struck gold from the beginning, Paul says there were a few songs that weren't very good. You know, clearly young songwriters who don't know how to do it and then picks up his guitar and he plays a, an example, an excerpt of a Lennon McCartney track called just fun 
which she never recorded. He goes on to say, eventually we started to write slightly better songs and then enjoyed the process of learning together so much that it really took off. And uh, whether it let it be period, the Beatles broke up soon after really was gloomy as the press made it to be. Paul says he always thought it was until he saw something recently discovered footage of the recording sessions and calls a photo taken by Linda of them both writing during sessions, saying it reminds him of the strength of the friendship with John and the photo showing a different, less gloomy side, which gave him hope. You know, you know, it's the craziest part. So, so they said during this thing, he, he riffed off, you know, some bullshit that they, that they started working on and decided was garbage. Yeah. If he would just finish that track, it would sell fucking millions of copies. You're probably right. He just, just by saying that he wrote it with John Lennon, even if he didn't, he could just say, he could write like a, one of his, one of his horrible songs that he writes right now and just say, yeah, that's something. This was based on a riff that John gave me. Well, yeah, this was something we were working on together. I just yeah. decided to finish it today. Yeah. 5 million downloads. Of course. I would agree. That's the power of the Beatles is crazy. It, it is. But, but again, this goes back to the whole old adage. No one remembers the second guy who walked on. Mm-hmm. the road. Yeah. I, I mean, really, that's really what it boils down to. Mm-hmm. Sean also asked about his father's insecurities with Paul replying that his confidence was a shield explaining that his wit guarded him from his insecurities. Wait a minute. There's a guy, John Lennon, who's like a genius, clever, witty, confident and everything. Why would he have insecurities? Because we're all fragile beings. Mm. So, so again, I'm going to go back to a Chris Akinism. Mm-hmm. Hey, here's a guy who wrote a song that I like. Exactly. I mean, that really is what it boils down to. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, so what? This this guy sat in a room and he penned out a song. Go, yeah, I'm gonna rant, rhyme some words together. Yeah, and it might resonate with you. It might not. And if it does, cool. If it doesn't, well, whatever. You're not a fan. Yeah. And if you are, um, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to look like the smartest son of a bitch that ever lived. (laughs) Right. For the first time, Sean speaks publicly to Elton John, who talks about what it was like being around John. That's what are they they going line for line of this special in this fucking press release? Jesus. And that's kind of what I was going to go to. It's like after reading this, why would you even watch it? No, you don't need to. Because they transcribed every single line that was spoken. And and I'm going to go back to something that we talk about all the time. Mm-hmm. What was it like knowing Elton John? Yeah. What was it like? Yeah. I don't know. He was a he was a skinny guy then. He's kind of fat and bloated now. Yeah. Doesn't sound nearly as good as he used to. Yeah, he was losing his hair and now somehow he's got a full head of hair now. Yeah. Looks like a football helmet. <laughs> Looks like he played for the fucking Chargers in the 60s. Exactly. He tells a great story about cycling 8 miles 
to buy a copy of Sergeant Pepper. Elton John? That's what it says. Was that over a week? <laughs> In Hatch End, and because he's such a fan, and from being a fan to finally meeting John, mm. he tells Sean, when I met your dad, I felt like I'd known him all my life. Wow. And that's the biggest compliment I can pay him. Great. He talks about the Madison Square Garden performance John did with him in 1974. That's the best he can do is say, yeah, felt like I knew him all your life. That, that, that's not necessarily good. Well, here's the thing. He's a songwriter. I'm a songwriter. It's like, you write songs? Yeah, I write songs. I write songs too. Cool, man. Yeah. spirits. Yeah. Unfortunately, Elton, at that time, you weren't writing songs. The other guy was writing songs. You were just singing them. Yeah. Bernie Toppin. Yeah. Bernie Toppin was writing all those songs. Not you. Yeah. When you started writing, that's when we got, I'm still standing. <laughs> that's when you went to shit. Yeah. Too low for zero. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> blue eyes. Baby's got blue eyes. Exactly. And that's if ever there was a, uh, a statement of fact about the songwriter means everything to the musician. It's Elton John, because with Bernie Taupin, those songs are fucking untouchable. The minute he got away from Bernie Taupin, those songs are unlistenable. All of his stuff in the eighties and nineties was just wretched, just bad. You know, <laughs> I mean, and, and all of that dude, Greatest hits one and two from Elton John. As far as songwriting goes, that, that, that is a literal lesson in how to write fucking popular songs. And then in the eighties, when, when we got, you know, I'm still standing and garbage, just garbage, you know, oof, bad. <laughs> Can you feel the love tonight? <laughs> Bernie Taupin was probably saying, don't tell people I used to write for you. Exactly. Don't let people know that. But, but, but it's very interesting how they reunited and, uh, you know, kind of collaborated again. Did it, did, but the magic's gone at this point. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. It worked when they were, you know, together all the time. Yeah. It was an era gone by. Yeah. It's not going to work 30 years later. Okay. We're back. Let's write a fucking song. No. <laughs> Yeah, good, good, good choice there, Bobby Kenneth. Sad songs. Yeah. That is a sad song. Sad songs, they say so much. What and what do they say? <laughs> I'm not a good song. They say, turn it on, turn <laughs> it on. Fucking terrible song. Uh, but I know all the words, so it can't be that bad, I guess. Well, again, it was played a ton of times on commercial radio mm -hmm. because it was Elton John. Yeah, exactly. All right. He talks about the Madison Square Garden performance John did with him in 1974, which became Lennon's final live gig appearance, but was also where he reunited with Yoko Ono. Well, you know, that's a force. After a period of separation, soon after she was pregnant with Sean, mm. hence the reason Elton is his godfather. <laughs> Great. 
Holy shit. In John Lennon uh, at the BBC, Liza Tarbuck explores the BBC archive of John Lennon from his earliest days with the Beatles up to his final interview recorded just two days before his death in December of 1980. Damn. His work, both as a musician and as a high-profile peace activist, Mm -hmm. still resonates as a loudly to it resonates as loudly today as it did during his lifetime. He appeared frequently on the BBC program and three articulate, often controversial and always searing honest as he talked about his subjects, including the Vietnam war, his protracted uh, struggles with the U S authorities as he tried and eventually succeeded in securing residency there. See again, America, it's so tar- terrible, but you're, yeah. you're fighting for your uh, ability to just stay here. Yeah. You didn't stay in England. You fucking moved here to avoid paying taxes there. Pal. Of course you did. Um, the breakup of the Beatles, his treatment by the press, and the development of his music through the 60s and the 70s. If he was alive today, he would have fucking released 400 songs about bad orange, man. Of course he would have. He would have just, you know, you know, and and he just sang them from his hospital bed instead of his regular bed. Of course. You know. The, the featured program includes his 1971 appearance at Parkinson alongside his wife, Yoko Ono, performing his own poetry on not only, but also talking to currently radio two presenter, Bob Harris about his rock and roll and walls and bridges album on the old gray whistle test an early pop profile of the BBC world service and Brian Matthews and his explosive 1969 interview with veteran New York times war correspondent, Gloria Emerson. Mm. Boy, those are names that ring a bell. Not sure, not at all, which was captured on film for the BBC 24 hours also featured on tracks from throughout his career, which would have been painstakingly restored and remixed for the newly released collection. Give me some truth. These are heard alongside exclusive performances some of his most celebrated songs including imagine love woman and happy christmas war is over featuring kadia malua Mm -hmm. rochford elo becca and blah 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 i i can't even i don't i have no idea who these people are who cares with the bbc concert orchestra this is a bbc audio production mm-hmm. boy so that's something you can look forward to i'm gonna be honest i love the beatles I well well huge. they're they're very let let me just put it this way okay. they they were a um they were a point in time mm-hmm. and obviously nobody had done what they have done at that time sure but uh you know here we are 50 some years removed from there, the Beatles, yeah. and they're still 
you know, they're still generating massive amounts of money. I still listen to them all the time. I mean, literally all the time I listen to the Beatles. That being said, John Lennon's solo was garbage. Well, yeah. Garbage. Well, it's the whole collective that makes that makes everything. Yeah. I mean, literally he had like four good songs on on um um double fantasy double fantasy i think was his you know his opus that he had his best work on you know yeah watching the wheels was really good and woman was really good um you know there's like four or five really good songs on that record other than that give me instant karma give me imagine and i'm done that you know and and so and i mean most of his albums were just shit Josh, shit. Yeah, Working Class Hero was pretty good. Um, but dude, realize he had an album called Shaved Fish. Shaved Fish. Yeah, because you know, shift uh fish grow those unsightly whiskers. Yeah. Hey, what what were they thinking? And that, and and Phil Spector was involved in that shit and just garbage. Well, you can't forget the plastic Ono band. True. That's true. plastic Ono band. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Garbage. Well, again, it, it's, it's the, uh, some of the parts is greater than the, what, how's that go? The, the, sum- the, the col- it was like the collective is greater than it, than the sum of its parts or something. Exactly. Something like that. But, but you got to have all the elements to, to make it the best thing that it can be. Yeah. You know, not one, e- even Paul McCartney, even though he did some, you know, pretty good, uh, solo material, it never usurped what the Beatles did. No, no, no. Harrison had some good music, but it, I mean, it wasn't super popular, but it's actually really pretty strong to listen to, but. But, um, yeah, none of them, none, dude, they all needed each other. That's about, they probably could have done well without Ringo, but you know, other than Ringo, <laughs> come on, I, don't on Ringo, man, because he dude, he didn't add anything. Come on. That guy, seriously talk about winning the fucking lotto. Holy smokes. That fucking dumbbell that quit the band and gave that seat to Ringo. <laughs> Please tell that guy committed suicide. Didn't he? Pete best. He would think so. What, what happened to Pete Best? Look him up. I'm looking him up right now. He still might be alive for all you know. He's not still alive. Yeah, he is. Holy shit. Holy shit. I wonder if he's a millionaire. I'll bet he is. You you think he got any credit for any of the Beatles stuff? No, but I'll bet you he's gone out and toured as, as Pete Best, formerly of the Beatles. I'll bet anything on that. I know he didn't just tour, tour as Pete Best. He was, ugh. dude, that guy, every day he's got to fucking look in the mirror and just be like, God damn it. I could have had $800 million instead of driving a cab here in Jersey. Sure. You know, uh, he's got to have a million dollars though. Well, you would think, and you would hope. Let me see. Did he write a book? He had to have written a book. Of course he did. Come on. Come on. Pete best book. Did he write a book? Um, uh, well, Pete Booty Judge did. <laughs> Best. 
I don't see a book. Wow. How does he not have a book? You better contact him, Chris. No shit. You got working collaborator. Pete best. And I would, are you kidding me? If I could write a book with Pete best, I would. That thing would sell a few thousand copies just because it's, he was in the Beatles for 13 seconds. He was in the Beatles. How does he not have a book? I mean, even if it was one chapter, it would still sell well. Yeah. You could make one of your, one of those mini books that you yeah. do Motley crew or yeah. the Motley crew, the Motley crew <laughs> or, or Metallica. Pete best. Let's see. Oh, he left show business. And by the time of Hunter Davis's authorized Beatles biography, he was not willing to talk about his Beatles associate. Yeah. He's bitter. Oh no. He did write an autobiography. What's it called though? They don't even say best sued the Beatles for defamation character. It's called right, he's rich. Yeah. I got fucked by the Beatles. <laughs> he sued the Beatles. And eventually you got an out of court settlement for much less than the 18 million he sought. Sure. So they probably gave him $2 half. million dollars to half. go away. Yeah. Did you say half? They didn't say. I would think probably. I'm thinking three to five. All right. Oh, wait a minute. He also got paid for the anthology stuff for anthology one. Okay. And it says that. He received a substantial windfall between 1 million and 4 million from the sales. All right. Although he was, so yeah. So dude, just by being in that band for fucking six months or whatever, he was in the Beatles. He, he probably got like six to $10 million. $10 million. Yeah. God damn. <laughs> I need to start joining some bands for a minute. Well, you do have scars. I do have scars. <laughs> Maybe that's going to be my big hit. Yeah. I'm going to get Mariah Formica to sing it. And then I'm going to fucking capitalize. I wrote that for her. <laughs> Pay me. <laughs> that's crazy. This guy fucking had, had, he was in the Beatles for a minute. Yeah. He, he didn't even record with them. No, but good for him. Made $10 million for fucking for, you know, for being in a local band at the yeah. time. For for being associated, yeah, for, be, for literally for being associated to a local band. Sure, he was right, probably before. he was probably in the Silver Beatles era. <laughs> <laughs> the Silver Beatles. He probably was. He probably was never actually a Beatle. He was a Silver Beetle. Yeah. All right. I have one more story to close out the show. If unless you have something. No. Go ahead. Um. Phil Collins does not go away. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, I am obsessed with these Phil Collins. Well, it, it got even worse this week. Did you hear this week's news? Mm. Remember how we talked about how he looked disheveled and horrible? Okay. Well, now Orian Sevi claims that his his hygiene is awful. Oh, I did see this. <laughs> <laughs> and Phil has fired back. Yeah. He he was like impotent and he didn't shower and he was yeah. just like all fucked up exactly. and like he, he had like <laughs> bad breath. And yeah, he's, he's a mess. It says Phil Collins says Orianne Seve's claims about his wellness are Sue Sue slander. <laughs> <laughs> 
According to court documents obtained by page six, Collins is refuting Seve's contention that Collins sunk into alcoholism and drug addiction during their marriage. I could believe that and began neglecting his hygiene to the point where he didn't bathe for months at a clip. Yeah. He, he, he's just some stinky old dude. Ugh. Collins filing called Sevy's story, a litany of demonstrably false, immaterial, impertinent, scandalous, and, and what is this? Scurrilous. 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 See, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Phil Collins yeah. paid her close to 50, 50, five, zero, yeah. $50 million. Yeah. And then if you add the house on top of that, that she yeah. refuses to leave, yeah. which, which was what, what? 300, 300 million. No, no, no. The house was 33 million. It was 80 million total. All right. 300. Well, okay. So, so the total amount between what he gave her in money yeah. and the house was like close to $80 million. Yeah, exactly. And then she turns around and she goes, well, he was impotent. And not only was he impotent, but he refused to shower and he stunk. And he was yeah. like, you know, he was, he was just a horrific person. It's just like, bitch, I just, I just paid you $80 million and and you're saying this shit about me. And here's the, here's the real thing. This is not divorce. Now this is just the lawsuit to get her out of the fucking house. Yeah. This is just back and forth shit. So even if Phil did this, even if all this is true, even if Phil hasn't seen a bathtub since fucking Susudio came out. Yeah. 1980, what? 1986 yeah. or in 1987. Yeah. What does that have to do with getting out of a house that she doesn't belong in? Well, he smells. So what, you're hiding from it in the house. He has a brush, just teeth in a week. Yeah. So she's what hiding in the house from Phil's stink. Yeah. Phil's in another country. I mean, what the hell? And I, and I, I don't know. <laughs> this story just keeps on going. Well, here's, here's the thing that's really kind of disconcerting about the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Phil Collins is a musical icon yeah. worldwide. All right. Mm-hmm. And this bitch, she yeah. has no notoriety at all no she, she she knows she she hasn't created anything aside from sucking phil's dick dirty dick yeah according to her according to her and she she's not attractive at all no to to boot and then and then here's the thing phil collins has got a almost a 50 year career in music Mm-hmm. And he's generated millions and millions of dollars. Right. And she is trying to soil his reputation as, you know, again, I, I don't know, Phil, obviously yeah. you don't know, Phil, I don't know, Phil, but here's the thing. This guy has had success beyond any one of our imaginations, yeah. whether it's you or me or any or her, or her imagination, for God's sakes. 
Tanya, she's another one. Her, she, she got the second best lottery ticket right behind fucking Ringo. She got $83 million for what? <laughs> for, for what? Because she, she was a, uh, groupie that That's Phil it. took a liking to for whatever reason. Because Phil has no game enough to fucking not marry every chick that bangs him. <laughs> Jeez. Oh man. So, so now she claims that, well, he's impotent. He can't get it up. He yeah. doesn't shower. He smells. He's, he's this, he's that. This fucking guy's got millions of dollars. And without him, you would not have the lifestyle that you have. Mm-hmm. That's, that's just unbelievable. Yeah. You know, you know who, who should be the most scared out of all this? The new husband. Can you imagine fucking watching your chick do this to your fucking, to her ex and thinking, oh my God, what's going to happen to me if I fucking don't feel well and forget to shower one day? Well, I don't think that guy has anything to worry about because nobody knows this guy's name. No, but still. She, she might steal all the money. <laughs> what money? This guy's this guy isn't wealthy as far as I know. No, but he is now because he's married to her. <laughs> okay. You know, it'd be, being married to her is worth at least 50 million, 25 to him. 25 to him if he sticks around for a little while. All right. Just think this guy, this fucking guy is gonna be fucking spending take me home money. Or fucking lonely man there on the corner money. This this new guy. All right. You bought the mama album, right? Yes, I did. You fucking bought this guy a towel. Probably. You bought him a towel. And you bought her when when you bought Abacab, you bought her a towel. I mean, what the fuck? Fifty million. Holy shit. That's a lot of money. It's awful. All right. Let's see. Where was I here? Uh, uh, Phil says that it has nothing legal, nothing to do with the legal claims in this case. And he suggests that her assertions have an ulterior motive to place his mental state under a cloud to deliberately make sensationalized and or false allegations in an effort to extort money. I don't stink, man. (laughs) Come here. Come here and smell my balls. Your honor, smell my balls. I washed them. (laughs) How exactly do you prove that that's not true? (laughs) That's a, I I will give her credit where credit's due. That's a hell of a good claim (laughs) because there's really no way for Phil to prove unless he has videotape of him jumping in the shower every day. Right. You know, how does he prove that he showered every day or every other day or whatever? You know, he doesn't even have hair to look greasy. So uh, how do you prove that? This is a cold bitch here though. Ugh. She really is a cold bitch. Um, let's see. Is the court going to hear evidence about the party's sex life or examine Phil Collins dental records or get photographs of his wardrobe to decide if he verbally promised Ms. Bates, Mrs. Bates, 50% of his Miami beach mansion. Of course not. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> and, and again, what did she do for any of that? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah. She didn't earn it. 
You, you know, here, here's the thing. When I was married, you know, 30 years ago or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, 25, let's see, 85, 95, 2005, 15. Well, it's been what? 35 years ago. Yeah. When, when I got uh, divorced in 2007, right. My, my ex, before we got divorced, she kept, she kept spouting this. Well, I'm entitled to. No, you're not. Well, I'm entitled to. It's like we've been married for, you know, 28 months. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you're not entitled to shit. Yeah. Which day did you go to work for me? Yeah. N- not a day. Yeah. So you're not entitled to dick. Yeah. Who stopped you from going out and getting your own fucking money? Exactly. Bitch. But, but again, I didn't write any hit songs either. Like yeah, true. It's true. Oh my God. But again, I, I'm going to go back to something you said last week. Mm-hmm. This is a hundred percent Phil's. It is. It's a hundred percent Phil's fault. Yeah. To, to bring her back in his life and, and to bring her in his life in the first place is bad, but to bring her back. Dude, I hope if Phil heard, if Phil hears this, I hope he takes one lesson away from this. That is never again bring back anybody. The minute you kiss them off, they're done. They're gone. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna do one better. <laughs> A Genesis song, <laughs> throwing it all away. Yeah, no kidding. This fucking guy has given up, you know, a quarter billion dollars in fucking settlements. Yeah, three times. Jesus. This is the third divorce. And if they're 80 million each time, that's $240 million. Jeez. God damn it. That rate, I'm ready to marry Phil for a year or two. Yeah. I'll well, deal with this stinky ass. Gay and suck a stinky dick. Yeah, for 80 million. Yeah, for that kind of money. Sure. 80, for 80 million, I'll suck his dick on pay per view. I don't care. <laughs> God sakes. So what's the rest of the story? Um, Collins points as he is, as he has in previous filings to the fact that he's currently in the UK rehearsing with Genesis for a tour next year as evidence that he's not in the decline. Sevy says he is that I'm going to disagree with. He looked terrible when he he looked pretty rough. He looked awful on tour. I can believe the part that he couldn't get his dick to work. (laughs) You know, he couldn't get his legs to work either. He couldn't walk out on the fucking stage. And what now I'm supposed to believe one of his three legs works. Not really. Not by now. Of course, I really didn't need to know about Phil's dick, but thanks Sevy for bringing that out. Yeah. Three legs live. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think everybody will get that, but I do. Let's see here. Colin 69 and Sevy 46 are locked in a bitter court battle, divorce battle. Currently, she claims he reneged on his deal to give her half of their $40 million home. $40 million. Jeez, oh man. The pair split in July after Sevy sent a text message to Collins copping to an extramarital love affair. A month later, she secretly wed new husband, Thomas Bates, 31. Collins tried to evict them, but now they've since agreed to move out of the house, which is currently up for sale in January. Yeah. What, what was the 
worth of the house was like forty million. Thirty million. Forty. Forty million dollars. This article says forty, and she's supposed oh. to take half. Holy shit! So fifty million plus twenty million. Holy smokes! Come on, Phil. I can't imagine a house being worth you know forty million dollars. Uh, can't can't either. All right, go ahead. That's it. That's the end of the story. All right. That's that's the latest on Phil Collins. Jeez. Every week there's a saga. We love the Phil Collins. <laughs> Phil Collins has made a comeback on the CMS. I guess. <laughs> you know, and I love Phil Collins and Genesis, and I know you do as well. I do. But holy shit. Mm -hmm. That is a lot of money. Yeah. That's a lot of coin to just throw away. Wow. All right. All right. And that's that. All right. Well, I know you weren't aware, aware of it, but, uh, one of my sisters this week, uh, had uh, brain surgery. Oh, geez. No, I wasn't. No, I know you weren't aware, but, uh, she had, um, a tumor removed from her brain. Ouch. And, uh, she came out of it. Okay. Great. And she's recovering. Is it a sister I know or the other one? No, uh, not one, you know. Okay. And, uh, I was told that she was doing well good, and, good. uh, she is on recovery and all that good stuff. And the sister that you do know, yes. Asked that I close the show with a song for her. All right. Fair enough. And it's somebody, it's a band that you actually like. I like, I think most people like, uh, the band is journey like journey. And, uh, this is the first, uh, Release from uh, Arnell Panetta's, uh, you know, joining Journey. Okay. And this is kind of a ballady thing. So if you don't like ballads, tune out now. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to end the show in, uh, you know, kind of tribute to my sister. Okay. Uh, in recovering or pulling through the whole brain surgery thing. Great. And I'm going to end with some journey after all these years. Good song. So, uh, we're going to get out of here. We'll be back next Saturday. We'll do this thing all over again. Cool. So until next Saturday, this is my, uh, this is Neely along with my good friend, Chris Agan, and we're gone. Bye kids.